0: Welcome to Off the Page, a weekly podcast produced by the Comox Valley Record. I'm Aaron Halstruck, a journalist with the record. Join me as we take a deeper look into the people and stories within the Comox Valley. Today on the podcast we have Tim Ennis, a conservation biologist, and he is the also the coordinator of the North Vancouver Island region of the BC bat program is more than 20 years of experience working to protect and restore biodiversity in BC. Welcome to the podcast, Tim. Thank you so much. So when I think of Vancouver Island, bats aren't necessarily something that I think of right away in terms of some of the mammals that exist on the island. Can you tell me a little bit more about the program and the population of bats on Vancouver Island?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that we don't think of bats very often, regardless of what geography we're living in. In because at least for here on Vancouver Island, there's probably more bats than there are any other kind of mammal by number on the island. They're absolutely huge populations. They play a really important role in the ecosystem here. For that reason, they're they're really important. But they're also, you know, cryptic. They're hard to see. They fly around in the dark. They don't make sound. So it's, it's easily understood why we don't associate uh, them as being part of the, the megafauna or, or, or the mammalian populations that we see on Vancouver Island that are kind of more, that we may be better known for
0: why are bats, when I think of them, I don't necessarily think of them as mammals. Why are they classified as such?
1: Well, they're definitely mammals. They have fur, they give birth to live young, they nurse them in the same way that most mammals do. But they are in a very specific order, as we call it, in the tree of life, if you will, which is called Chiroptera. So some people think of them as associated with rodents, like flying mice, for example. They're definitely not that. They're separated in evolutionary time, like quite a long time from it, the closest sort of mammal relative, if you will. And the order that they're in is called Chiroptera, which literally means hand wing. Because when you look at the anatomy of a bat, you'll notice that their wings are actually held open by their finger bones. So they're, they're flying with, with their hands, which is quite distinctive uh, with them. But about 20% of all mammal species on the planet are bats. So they make up a really huge component of biodiversity in the mammal uh, kingdoms here. On planet Earth.
0: And how did the BC bat program come about and how did you decide that this would be something to have a chapter on Vancouver Island?
1: It came about due to I think just generally needs from communities across British Columbia to have a portal for science-based information about bats including how to live with them to get fact-based information about risks that bats might pose to human health and generally provide education and outreach to the population to dispel A lot of the myths that are out there about bats because as as they are really difficult to observe and experience in the wild they have been vilified in some cultures including ours to some degree as being pests whereas we also hold them up as as heroes in some contexts too like with batman etc so there's a bit of a mixed bag on bats around here but providing fact-based information is is one of the key objectives and, and, and outreach to communities so we opened our doors here for our north island program really in response to need previously there was only one program for the bc community bat program on the island and it was based out of Victoria so it became difficult for our colleagues down there to respond to needs of people in the say Comox Valley for example and so we were able to to step up and, and fill that void.
0: Do you have an idea a general idea of what the bat population here is in the Comox Valley?
1: It's really really hard to say and so no I couldn't even come up with a number other than to say that any warm summer night on any body of water a wetland or river or lake you can't not see hundreds of them at a time. So when you magnify that across the landscape, there's there's lots, lots and lots.
0: And are there a certain type of bat or breed of bat that is specific to this region?
1: Previously, what we understood was that there were about nine species of bat that are native to our area here. And through our research in the past three years, we've discovered three more species, bringing the total to 12. So those species aren't like new to science in a sense. They're species that were just not thought of as being native to Vancouver Island, or, but they are known from other places. So we've discovered these, these three species, and it's been one of the really interesting things about our work here is, is that. And who knows what else we have to discover in front of us in the years ahead.
0: And is it research, I think, about scientists studying certain breed of birds and things like that, and they put GPS trackers Mm -hmm. and things like that. Is that something that you see as one of your goals that you'd like to do?
1: It absolutely is, yeah. It's just really challenging with bats because they weigh so little. So when you're going to encumber an animal with a a tracker of some kind, GPS or whatever, there's a certain limit of what you can strap on to, to them before you really compromise their ability to, say, fly, for example. With the modern... GPS trackers that we have, the heaviest component is the battery. When we look at the weight restrictions that BATS can hold, the battery life for the tracking devices that we could use is would be weeks, it becomes a challenge that way. If they're migrating, for example, far distances, you know, you're going to run out of battery before you find out where where they are. And the other thing is uh, we don't have a series of towers that can receive the signals in this part of the world, so it requires sort of manually chasing them in vehicles or on bike or foot or in airplanes or whatever to find out where they are as they're moving. Also very challenging. So we have a little ways to go yet to really dial some of the uh, research methodologies that uh, are available to us. But yeah, absolutely, it would be something that we're really looking forward to getting involved with.
0: You touched on it a little bit previously about some of the myths that people have around bats and whether they're perpetuated online or just in culture and things like that, both good and bad. Can you dispel some of those myths and tell people why bats are really an integral part of our larger ecosystem?
1: Yeah, for sure. Bats are the only animal that you're likely to encounter here in the Comas Valley that could have rabies. And so that's sort of a myth that is part true. It it is absolutely the case that, that our bats here are do carry rabies. But the other component of that myth is that it's less than half of 1% of wild bats that are infected with rabies. So it's really important to remember from a health and safety perspective, a few key points like never handle a bat with your bare hands or if you accidentally encounter one with your bare skin that you do need to go and get treatment for the possibility of contracting rabies but the the severity of which is very high for humans but the likelihood of that being you know a transmissible disease to us based on the half of 1% of bats carrying rabies is a super low likelihood it certainly is not the case that all bats are carrying it and that they're all sort of infested with this virus and whatnot the other thing is there's a lot of other diseases that are carried by rodents and mice that bats don't have chances are statistically that your your likelihood of getting sick from a rodent is much higher than it would be from a bat so for example um, feces can can cause infections in people that can be quite serious as well potentially lethal whereas that's not the case with bat guano. So if you have bats in your attic, as long as you don't handle them directly, there's essentially very, 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 very low chance that anything unfortunate would happen to you or your family in a, in a health context, other than direct skin contact, potentially.
0: And that kind of leads me to my next question, is if people do encounter a colony of bats near their house or even in their house, like you said, what should they do?
1: So that's part of our business of, of what we do at the Community Bat Program, is we receive calls and emails from people wondering that exact same question. And so, you know, once we've had a chance to provide landowners or homeowners with, uh, with the facts about about bats and human health and safety and also the benefits that they can provide to you in terms of the use and enjoyment of your property. It seems that about, I would say, probably 85% of the people we talk to are just really happy to leave them where they are and allow them to carry on what they're doing in, in the attic or in the woodshed or what have you. But for the others that just don't have the appetite to coexist, we can support them with what's called ethical exclusion. If bats are using your building, they're only going to be using it for a certain period of the year. And once that period of the year is over and they're gone, then you can do what you need to seal up your home so that they can't get back in. But when when they try to get back in in the following spring, what we advise people to do is to put up a bat box so that they will have something suitable to, to sort of roost in when they come back and find that the house is no longer available. So we can help people either build their own bat boxes, we provide them and can provide advice on installation and things like that as well. So definitely a support for folks who, who have um, bats because it is illegal to harass or harm them in any way, shape or form when you're when they are in your building. So it's important to know that. Leave them be and give me a call.
0: <laughs> is the majority of their diet? are insects?
1: Yeah, all of the bats that we have native to our area are all insectivorous. So that means they all eat insects. Across the world, of course, bats, there's many different kinds that do many different things, some of which eat fruit, some focus on eating fish. Others are pollinators. For example, people would be familiar with tequila. The only pollinator of plant that produces tequila is a bat. So without them, you wouldn't have tequila. And then, of course, there's the infamous vampire bat, which is, you know, there are, are some species that um, drink on the blood of other animals, but we don't have any of those here. All of our bats eat mosquitoes and moths and caddisflies and beetles of various types and things that fly around at night. So, Searching for a new home? Make todayshomebc.com your online home base. With easy-to-search listings
0: and connections to local realtors, everything you need is under one roof. Powered by Black Press Media. You can search hundreds of local listings, all in one place. Access the top real estate professionals to help you find the perfect home today at todayshomebc.com. What is it for you personally about bats that you are really drawn to and that really piqued your curiosity?
1: My primary work that I do is actually protecting land. So typically buying private land and setting it aside as habitat for wildlife. And we do that through nonprofit organizations and a lot of times we're looking to government grants and things to provide the funding that we need to acquire these parcels of land. A lot of the government granting agencies want to know what kind of endangered species might be on the property and that supports your cause for conservation when you have a a verified record of of a species at risk occurring on the property and so we do uh, get involved through that lens with things like looking for rare owl species or perhaps uh, rare reptiles such as the western painted turtle and at one point in time our group was interested in understanding whether or not there were any rare bat species on some of the properties that we were looking to acquire so we invested the little bit of money in acoustic sampling technology that has come way down in price that that is our primary tool of doing bat research. and we were able to discover that there, yes, there were in fact some endangered species of bats in some of these project areas that we are interested in. But from there, I think just the intrigue of being out at night with ultrasonic acoustic microphones and listening to the sounds of bats flying overhead, even though you cannot see them, and having the computer tell you in real time what species of bat is flying overhead, became kind of fun to be honest and so we just sort of moved in in the direction of doing more and more uh, acoustic sampling in different places around the valley and after a a little while of doing that became involved with a, a research project funded through the fish and wildlife compensation program that was a little bit more rigorous in the application of scientific methods and things like that and became also involved with the community bat program around that time too so it's sort of snowballed from our from our land protection ambitions to the science and research program that we have now. And what do bats sound like at night? They make sounds that the human ear can hear when they're talking to themselves. So let's say, for example, if you happen to own a house with bats in the attic, typically just before dark, right at at sunset, You'll hear them chirping to each other, so it just sounds like a little squeak. But when they're on the wing and they're flying, they use echolocation to see the world around them. So they basically see the world with sound as, as we see the world with sight and light. Those echolocation calls are completely above the range of human hearing. So you'll, you'll never hear an echolocation call. Our acoustic equipment is able to record the ultrasonic sounds that they're making and uh, show it to us on a, on a sonogram. It's called a picture on the iPad or on the tablet of any kind, smartphone of any kind. And then if we slow it down, down really really slow then we can hear what the sound would sort of sound like if we were able to hear that high uh, in frequency M- many people say that they think they, the sound is somewhat like a bird chirping still it's, it's just a high squeaks
0: for you for the BC BAT program and particularly for the local chapter here what are some goals what are your next steps that you'd like to see the program go to or evolve
1: well we have a couple of specific things that we always hope that uh, the local public will be able to help us with one is the identification of, of roost sites so if you are a homeowner that has uh, bats in your barn or in your attic or any other place on your property where you see them come back every year, we'd like to know where those things are. And we have a volunteer program where we actually monitor those populations. So we come out with a group of trained volunteers and count how many bats are flying out of the attic, let's say, every night. And and we do that year after year to sort of track the population health over the long term. So we're very interested in both landowners that are comfortable self-identifying to our program as, as people that have bats on their property, but also looking for volunteers to help us with the counts. That's really important because it does take quite a few people to, to do one thoroughly. So that's one component. But also, there are some diseases that are affecting bat populations themselves that are causing massive declines, almost extinctions really, in certain bat populations across North America. And those introduced diseases haven't yet started influencing our bat populations, we don't think. But we're also really interested in any dead bats that people find because then we'll send those in for testing to see if the cause of death was this introduced disease that we're worried about. That's always something that we're, we're looking for help from the public to, to do as well.
0: If the bat population, or like you said, when the bat population declines significantly, what would be the impact on our ecosystem?
1: Yeah, so white-nose syndrome is, again, um, an introduced fungus that has come to the eastern shores of North America, That uh, from Europe, we think, that has caused you know declines of like 99.9% of populations of certain bat species. And it's been moving across the country roughly from east to west sort of ever since. And generally speaking, it, it's made its way about as far as sort of Manitoba in Canada from that bat-to-bat contact, we think. Somehow, and we're not really sure how, it it leapfrogged over to um, sort of the Snohomish County, King County area of Washington State, so Puget Sound. So it's maybe 300 or so linear kilometers from our doorstep. We hope that it doesn't make it here, but it, it likely will. And so certain species, like the most abundant one we have here on the island, little brown bat, is one of the ones that's most impacted by that fungus. So fortunately, we do have some top scientists in Canada that have developed a vaccine, if you will, to use a casual term, so, understanding where the colonies are can really help us with rolling out that vaccination program effectively, and we'll hopefully give our bats here a better chance to survive than what relations in the eastern parts of the, of the continent have experienced. In other places where the bat declines have been significant, you would expect that the insects they're eating would be no longer predated upon by them, and so the insect population you would expect to be affected significantly by all of a sudden having hardly any bats around.
0: Really appreciate your time and your expertise. Yeah, thank you for having me. That's this edition of Off the Page, produced by the Comox Valley Record. Thank you for joining us. If you have suggestions for topics or guests we would like to hear from you, email us at page at
1: Discover what's happening around our province with todayinbc.com. Sign up today to get the latest news right to your inbox and never miss the news that's important to you and your family. From community news in your neighborhood to what's happening in our province, your source for daily news is todayinbc.com.